Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Joshua J. bringing you another episode of How Magicians Think. This episode is called What Happens If a Magician Reveals a Secret? How Magicians Think is my love letter to magic and the best magicians in the world. It's a podcast about what happens when you spend every waking second of your life pushing the boundaries of what's possible. It's about taking the ordinary and doing the extraordinary. I want to take you behind the curtain so that you can see the inner beauty of magic and appreciate the world's most secretive profession in a whole new way. I'm Joshua J, and this is How Magicians Think. Welcome to the show. Where are you, Project? You're about to see one of the world's top magicians break his code of silence and reveal some of magic's most closely guarded secrets. This is not a gimmick. You are actually going to find out how these amazing illusions are pulled off. A warning. If you don't want to know how these tricks are done, better switch to another channel right now. We're really not sure why a well-known magician would go on television and expose these deep, dark secrets. After all, he's risking his entire career to do so. That's why in order to protect his identity, you will not hear him speak or even see his face. He will be known only as the Masked Magician. In 1997, there was a magic special on television called Breaking the Magician's Code. But you know it, and I know it, as the one with the masked magician. In it, a man in a black and gray mask, revealed magic tricks that up to this point were considered classics in the industry. Vanishing an elephant, levitating an assistant, sawing through a lady, all of magic's classics revealed right in your living room on your TV screen. Well, this is one of the most remarkable of the podcast episodes we've recorded. I was able to track down the masked magician. His real name is Val Valentino, and he is right now in Brazil, of all places. We're going to talk to Val Valentino, but also we're going to discuss the strange ethics of the magic community. And while they're not perfect, it may just be a model for other industries to protect against piracy and stealing. But now, let's talk about the masked magician. It's really hard for me to know how exactly to tackle an interview subject like Val Valentino, because what's clear is, in this moment, in this time period, he views himself as a force for good in magic, and he views what he's doing as important, positive work. He was nice. He agreed for the first time in 20 years to talk about making Breaking the Magician's Code and what it was like to expose all of these secrets on TV. But of course, this guy was public enemy number one. This guy took the art form that I love and exposed these secrets as cheap wholesale segments to sell commercials between. 
So I began by asking him if he has any regrets. Actually, there, there are no regrets because I've been on a different side and I've seen so much positive come out of uh, this project. Of course, I still don't agree that it, you know magic should be exposed. I mean, I grew up with the same magic information. Oh, you don't reveal, you don't do things twice. That's a big proponent of who I am. I have that ingrained in me from, you know, I, I since five years old. So, of course not. The magicians just didn't know what was going on. And I couldn't say anything. A lot of the propaganda was just created, you know, through the publicity companies, through Fox and everything. So, but I couldn't talk about it for a whole year. So I was in a hot seat. I never really, I mean, it was a character to me. And somehow I just had this vision of where it'll be in 20 years. And, and sure enough, here we are. This is, it, it's amazing. One of the puzzling parts of interviewing Valentino is that at times he seemed on the border of delusional. He really chose always to pivot away from the Breaking the Magician's code material and into all the good that he was doing for magic. And countries like uh, Indonesia, where magic actually wasn't even like really allowed because it's very large a Muslim. When my TV specials came out, it revealed that, wow, it's an art form, it's physical things, it's lighting, it's theater, it's psychology, and on and on and on and on. So they accepted magic. What would I tell my critics? Um, I mean, you just, just look at the time that has passed and where magic is today. I mean, th these magicians coming out of these new generations, oh my God, they're, they're amazing. But when I asked him point blank about those specials, he sort of was dead behind the eyes. And I don't know if that's from a place of remorse or a place of rewriting your own history so you can sleep at night or what's going on there. But what's clear is that he was living in a different reality during this interview than I was. The interview took a bizarre turn at this point where he talked about a health struggle in which he claimed to have died for a period of minutes. Not so uncommon to be declared dead on an operating table, but he felt that when he crossed over, he actually had a conversation with his deceased mother. You know, to tell the truth, I really don't think about a legacy. In fact, I had a, a near-death experience July of 2019. I died for like three and a half minutes. So from that moment, I've been like reborn, so to speak. That's a whole other topic, but I crossed over to another side. I was with my mom there. and Is this theatrics? Did this actually happen? He said elsewhere that he was doing God's work. I mean, from the beginning, there was something. I mean, it's like, my, it's like a destiny. And I'm actually following my heart. And the messages that I'm getting from, you know, another dimension or God or whatever, I feel that I am doing God's work. And it has been from the beginning. It's amazing. I mean, my, my tours, I, I was doing arenas, you know, three, four, five, six thousand, forty thousand, thirty thousand people paying customers coming to the venues, watching my shows. And, and so I toured for a few years, but then I continued doing uh, the television. And then this mission of, of mine to get magic recognized as a true art form everywhere in every country. I call it, I was running on fire. I mean, I was in all these countries. I had to do everything myself because, of, you know, the agents and managers and that nobody would touch me. But then 
wow, the things that were created were amazing. And, and the love from the public has really kept me going. And the love for the art and to uh, get all countries to embrace the art of magic. That's my mission. And this is a mission given to me by God. I find it so odd that the magician who tore down the work of so many other performers who now believed he was doing God's work. The inherent flaw, of course, in the logic of Val Valentino is that he himself quickly brushed aside the idea that he was doing any exposing anymore. I stopped exposing magic, gee whiz, 10 years ago, maybe more. This is not what I do. And he could see the moral dilemma of exposing magic. He could tell that it wasn't a great thing to be doing, so he's not doing it anymore. And yet, he seems unable to accept any responsibility for the period in his career when he revealed more magic tricks than ever before. Well, Fox made the decision they were going to reveal magic. Then the producers, uh, Nash Entertainment, they went everywhere, even Fox, looking at the different magicians, talking to the different magicians. I was performing uh, in Las Vegas, Laughlin, and Mississippi at the time, the casinos out there. And they really liked me. But then, of course, I turned it down from the beginning. I said, no, I can't be a part of this. They kept coming back to me. And it wasn't until they agreed to reveal certain things and not certain things. I actually created like alternative ways to do it. So when an audience actually seen a magician performing uh, certain illusions, that it would throw them off because they would think it's done one way, but it was like the old style. So it was a big win. It was originally just one special. And then the four specials that I did were with that theme. Then I revealed myself. I thought that was going to be the end, but then it kept going. First of all, it was never about the money. I turned it down from the very beginning. It, it was what could have been accomplished that was accomplished. And, you know, that was a big part of the propaganda. That was a big part of the publicity. The money came in from the work that I created. Now, the amazing thing is magicians with all their agents and managers got together. They blackballed me. Uh, from all agencies. Nobody would touch me because they were afraid. As always, first we'll start by showing you how the trick is performed. Then we'll reveal the secrets of how it's actually done. In order to make sure that our magician's identity remains a secret, you will not see his face or even hear him speak. Tonight, he will be known only as the masked magician. We begin with one of the most dangerous illusions ever attempted, the bed of spikes. This is a world-class magician performing these I mean, the internet was just really coming to be, and it was going to be easy for anyone to learn all secrets. I wish it never, you know, the internet and all this information was not out there. It would be wonderful for things to be the way they were in the 1950s, and but it's just not, that doesn't exist anymore. It's not like that. It's a new time, it's a new age, and if you're not going to embrace where magic is today, Gee whiz, I mean, I don't know why. Keep going forward, keep moving forward. Things change. What became frustratingly clear to me as I went through this interview is that the Val Valentino that I was talking to was not the mass magician 
from those 23 years earlier. He had grown into a different person and, cheerfully, a person who wanted to do good in magic and wanted to benefit the magic community around the world. It, it had its time, it had its point when I was involved, and that was my involvement. I've used that platform to bring magic to China and, and to Indonesia and working on the Middle East. I'm working on Brazil right now. Brazil doesn't recognize the art of magic as a uh, art form like the other art forms, but I'm working with the government and working uh, to change that. Magicians in Brazil aren't really hooked up with uh, magic throughout the world. I've made a commitment to stay and, and to see this through to promote these magicians. It was not the time or place for me to chastise him. I don't know that it would do any good from somebody who has no regrets and, in his words, has no remorse about what he did. But let me be clear about this. There is a very clear distinction between exposure and teaching. I wrote a book for the public in which I taught some really great magic tricks, and magicians were upset with me. Nowhere near the death threats that Val Valentino used to receive. But magicians were upset that I would give away trade secrets in a book that was sold in bookstores across the country and when it was translated all over the world. But in fact, the answer to that question is a really easy one. And it comes down to this word, effort. Effort. You see, it's not exposure if the person on the other end has to use effort to get there. You have to go to the store to get my book. You have to spend money to buy that book. You have to spend time practicing those tricks if you want to learn what's taught in my books. That is, in my mind, teaching. No question about it. On the other hand, when you're flipping through the stations in the late 90s and you see Breaking the Magician's Code with a guy dancing on stage with a mask on his face, you didn't ask for those secrets. You didn't ask to learn magic. You didn't put in any time. They're being exposed right in front of your face for no reason other than television ratings. To me, that distinction is clear and exposing magic on TV is wrong. It doesn't hurt the art of magic when the audience is in on a trick because the secret is a small part of it. The real magic is in the performance. Exposing magic is a really bad thing. It's bad for the craft, but more than that, it's bad for us as viewers of magic. You see, magic doesn't work without mystery. Magic is a question mark. It makes us question things. And if you just expose a secret, you risk really two things. The first and main thing you risk is that you take away somebody's experience of magic. And that's really bad. But secondly, you distill magic down to something simpler than it really is. When you say, this is how it works, see how simple, it often isn't that simple, or there's something really creative about how that trick is accomplished. But when it's exposed wholesale and put in front of you in a way that you didn't ask for, you can't help but think that magic is simple. And magic is many things, but it is never simple. The best magicians like David Copperfield, Lance Burton, and Penn and & Teller are the true artists. They lead their audience through a wide range of emotions, from laughter to fear to sheer amazement. Every magician aspires to be that great, including me. 
Valentino, the masked magician. Before I go, I'd like to leave you with this thought. It is my belief that the art of magic is for everyone. Not just a select few who call themselves magicians, but for every single one of you. And especially the kids, because it is you kids that are the future of magic. I'm happy to report that as a direct result of these specials, magicians everywhere have been letting go of their old tired tricks and moving forward, creating bigger and better illusions and taking magic where it has never gone before. And now it's time for me to move forward too. The next time you see me, I will be performing new and exciting illusions that have never been seen before. Illusions that will thrill and amaze you. I hope I have contributed in some small way to your enjoyment of magic. So until we meet again, remember that the magic is in all of us. Thank you and good night. Here we are 23 years later. Magic hasn't disappeared. It hasn't gone away. It has continually grown, even though the secrets are out there. Anyone can learn pretty much how to do anything they wanted to. People that have an interest in the art of magic are the ones that support magic. They're the ones that buy the tickets. They're the ones that go see magicians. They're the ones that hire magicians that have a little insight about the art of magic. Magic isn't, isn't harmed at all. I mean, at all. You can see the flaw in his logic because Valentino believes that here we are 20-some years later and magic has survived. Magic has flourished. So how bad could it have been? But this is, of course, a straw man argument. Just because magic survived doesn't mean what he did was good for magic. But it was bad for magic. Valentino was right about one thing, though. If you go to YouTube, you can find many of magic's greatest secrets and many of the proprietary tricks of the biggest magicians in our field exposed for free one click away. This is a huge problem, and one without any solution that I can really see. So what do we do about this? I don't think we can do anything about this. But the thing is, when Valentino was on TV exposing magic, he was an easy guy to hate. He was a guy in a mask. He wouldn't even admit to his own identity. And he was an easy target to pick on and pick apart. But now, that problem is YouTube. It's not one person. It's a whole generation of magicians who don't value secrets. I wish I had a solution for you, but this problem isn't going away, and it's only getting worse. There was a paper published out of Yale University that fascinates me, and I think you're going to find this interesting because it has so much potential in other industries. And it explained the way that magic and the magic community self-polices. In other words, there's really no way to copyright or protect an idea in magic. The only person who's successfully litigated a copyright and trademark and patent in the magic community is Teller. And he won on a technicality that you can read about in my book, How Magicians Think. But truly, if I come up with the next great magic idea, I can try and make schematic drawings, I can try and patent it and trademark it and register the script. But really, there's nothing stopping another performer from doing that trick. Except that in my industry, it doesn't happen as much as you would think because we self-police. And what I mean by that is this. 
Let's say that I do a signature piece in my show and that the closing piece is stolen by Michael Dini, the Minnesota Houdini. Well, I would call Michael Dini up and I would say, Hey, Michael Dini, listen, I got wind you're using my closing piece. And I don't know if you came up with it yourself or you saw me do it, but listen, I'm not cool with that. It needs to stop. And for the most part, as remarkable as this probably sounds to you if you're not a magician, Michael Dini would stop. Now, why on earth would he stop? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the magic community is a small one. You do not want to be hated in the magic community. If I wanted to, I could call the agents that book him, the party planners that engage his services, and say, hey, you're using an unethical magician, and I won't be on the same roster as Michael Dini. I could call the other people in his magic club in Minnesota and say, I'd prefer you kick him out of the organization and ostracize him because he's operating in an unethical way. Michael Dini needs that organization. He needs the agents. He needs the work. He wants to behave in a way that is ethical and in line. Magicians often share stages with other magicians. They don't want to be known as thieves. The other thing is, magic is such an enjoyable art form. Most of the people who do magic do it because they love it. They're not doing it because they can make so much money. If you want to make money, magic's the last thing you would choose. So they're doing it for a sense of pride. And being told you're a thief or unworthy of a magic show stage is not a place most magicians want to be. So because of this, we self-police. And for the most part, it works. That's not to say there aren't magic thieves, there are people who publish tricks that aren't theirs, there aren't magicians who lift things and lines and tricks from other shows, but this happens in every industry. And I'm proud of the fact that in magic, at least in part, it seems to work by working together and being frank and being clear with our fellow performers. So that's our episode on exposure. And no matter where you are right now listening to this episode, you might be a magician, you might be a non-magician, I think that you fit pretty neatly into one of two categories. You're either somebody that has to know how something is done, or you're somebody who says, I don't want to know. I love the mystery of not knowing. That's what I love about magic. And here's what I've realized about these two people. The people who love and embrace mystery make the best audiences. I love performing for you if you're this kind of person. The other kind of person, the person who can't be without knowing the secret, person who's on YouTube right now searching magic secrets, well, you make the toughest audience. You make my life hell sometimes when I'm on stage. But guess what? You also make for the best magicians. In the next episode of How Magicians Think, we are going all the way to Spain to sit down across the table from arguably the greatest living magician. And while he's a household name in Spain, you may not know who he is, but after this episode, you will never forget him. It's about magic, sure, but it's also about doing anything at an extremely high level. We'll see you at the next episode of How Magicians Think. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you follow it on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to fill your friends' lives with magic by clicking that share button inside the app. If you'd like to find more information about me or my career or my book, How Magicians Think, or my tour, you can find all of that at joshuaj.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Joshua J. 
And this is how magicians think. How Magicians Think is a production of Audio Up Media and Vanishing Inc. Executive produced by Joshua J., Jared Gustat, Phil Alberstadt, and Jimmy Jelinek. Written by Joshua J. Audio Up in-house production by Jordana Glick-Fransheim and Nate Glassman-Hughes. Edited by Carrie Caulfield-Eric. Sound design and mix by Carrie Caulfield-Eric. For the full list of production credits, please visit audioup.com. You can find more podcasts from Audio Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.